Tonight, what I would like to do is uh, talk uh, about or give you the history of Lag Ba'omer, what it means, where did it come from, and then we're going to shift because Lag Ba'omer has to do with uh, the giving of highest level of Torah illumination from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that... Um, that we, we will see that the B'nai Noach, or the Noahide, has a share in this illumination and receiving of, of great wisdom in Torah and how it sort of comes down to this century. So let me start off with a brief history. How many know uh, about the history of... Come on in and make yourself comfortable. Uh, how many know about the history of, of uh, Lagba Omer? Does anybody just make sure that, that I'm not going to be beating a dead horse? So you know enough a little bit about it. How many are familiar with Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva? Okay. So uh, it really sort of has its source, uh, the historical aspect beginning with Rabbi Akiva. But the, the great Chacham, Rabbi Akiva, was part of a, con, um, a family of converts in Israel and uh, was a fairly poor guy. He actually served as a stable uh, hand for a great rabbi in Israel, very wealthy rabbi, probably one of the wealthiest uh, men in, in all of Israel, maybe the Mideast at the time. And this is going back about uh, 2,000 years ago. Um, it says that uh, one day while he was tending to uh, the horses and brushing the manes out of the horses, very poor guy, he didn't even know how to speak Hebrew, didn't know how to read Hebrew, um, the young uh, daughter of the great rabbi, beautiful woman, could have had the pick of any great, great uh, mind in Judaism. She was struck by his humility and his soft-spoken nature. And she really, really wanted to marry him. Well, this didn't go over well with her father. So the deal was this. She says, I'll marry you if you will go off and study Torah. If you'll go to yeshiva. Well, this guy didn't even know even Hebrew. So he had to start off like at kindergarten level before he could even begin to study. Her father, when he found out that they had become um, committed to a marital relationship, he said, I'm cutting you off. All of my money, everything that I have, it's not yours. It's going to belong to the rest of the family. Just basically disowned her. Said that she, she moved into a little uh, mud uh, house that uh, Akiva built for her before he left. And he went off to study Torah. For 12 years, he studied. And I'm condensing this very interesting story. And if you ever get a chance to read about it, um, it'll help you to understand that everybody has an opportunity to become a tzaddik. Everybody has the opportunity. There's no excuse. And, you know, he would have never thought of himself when he was brushing the tail end of a horse and feeding a horse and shoveling manure that one day he would be given by Hashem some of the greatest insights into Torah knowledge. It says that he studied for 12 years, barely made ends meet, he decided after the end of 12 years to come see his wife. And as he's approaching the house, he hears neighbors teasing her and say, 
second husband's never going to come. He's probably found another woman. And back then, it wasn't like you could just hop on a bus or a motorcycle and go to Jerusalem. You took your life into your hands just to go visit your son so, or, or your husband. So she has not seen, haven't heard from him in 12 years. And as he's hearing that, he hears his wife say, for the sake of heaven, if I, if I had to have my husband to spend 24 years studying Torah, I would still wait on him. It says he turned around and walked back to yeshiva and spent another 12 years studying Torah. When he returned, with him were 24,000 yeshiva students. I mean, think about this. 24,000 young men who began to hear the great wisdom that came down. There was something about Rabbi Rabbi Akiva that he had tapped into... um, a special knowledge that the sages of that time were amazed at his ability to have insight into the Torah. It is out of his teaching that his surviving student, uh, Rabbi Shimon Barochai, brings Kabbalistic ideas and shares the Kabbalistic ideas to the world. It's said that the 24,000 students there was a great plague that came. And all of them died of this disease. And on the last day, which is this very day that we are celebrating, uh, there was only just a couple of survivors. And one of them was Rabbi Shimon bar Rabbi Shimon was a student of Rabbi Akiva. And there he studied in right outside of Tzat, right where Rabbi Katz is today. And that has actually been sort of the center of, of Kabbalistic studies in, uh, since this time. The date every year is a Jewish festival that is put on the calendar. And it is celebrated with um, outings, traditional play, having the kids go outside. People are camping. They're big and big bonfires. Uh, this is the time that, uh, as a matter of fact, tonight right now, there are probably somewhere close to a million people that have crowded into this area on this mountainside where uh, Rabbi Shimon is buried. And there they go to pray and ask God for special, uh, special blessings, for special miracles in their life. And there's actually websites you can go to where people have written about the miracle of being able to have a child after having nine uh, miscarriages and the miracle of financial stability coming to a family that been wanted to send their children to yeshiva. Amazing stories. And so this night marks a very special night. And it's not just about celebrating bonfires and campouts for children. There is something much more profound that took place. And that is this. When Rabbi Shimon died, the very day that he died, he was giving in a series of teachings to his students some of the most profound insight and wisdom from the Torah. I mean, at such a level... Even to this day, the Zohar is quite a mystery to just about anybody who picks it up. Great scientists have taken the Zohar and looked at it and realized that there is no way a human being could possibly know the things that was written in the Zohar. For example, how many stars are in the universe? How many planetary systems in the universe? It has been predicted and 
and talked about ever since astronomy began to take its hold in, in the history of the world. But yet the Zohar describes down to the T how many stars are in the universe. On and on and on, science is confounded by the fact that the Zohar enumerates ideas that come from, for example, just in the past hundred years, ideas about, um, about uh, physics and ideas about uh, black holes and universes and parallel universes. All of this was brought down by the, the great rabbi. It says that Rabbi Akiva stayed in a cave, how long? 13 years with his son. 13 years to write the Zohar. It is through the teachings of Rabbi Akiva that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai picks up these teachings and begins to, to share them with his students. It's said the night that he dies that the whole room, his students said the whole room and around the house began to illuminate. They, they couldn't believe their eyes that they could see like this radiant light emanating around them. And it says that as he was beginning to share some of these ideas, one student is writing down, and they are right at one point where he's talking about Adam and Eve, and he's waiting for the rabbi, Rabbi Shimon, to make the next statement in his pause. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he hears one word. He writes down this word. He writes down the statement, and nothing. And he turns around and looks, and Rabbi Shimon is laying on his side, smiling, and his soul had left him. An amazing thing. So from this day, um, uh, the knowledge, the hidden knowledge of the Torah was only available to the greatest sages of Judaism. Starting with Adam, passed down to Avraham, to Shem, of, who is the Malik or Melchizedek, and then it's passed down through generation. Only the greatest Chams could know about this because it was so illuminating, so powerful that it could potentially destroy someone. Let me try to take a very complicated idea and break it down into a very simple format so that you can understand what we're talking about. Many people think that Kabbalah or the teaching of Kabbalah, means mystery, right? You heard that? What other terms you've heard for Kabbalah? Mysticism, mystical. But in reality, it's not any of that. It's about receiving. It's about receiving. Now, what did the great teachers of Kabbalistic idea mean when they said that God was holy and that we should be holy? We mentioned this last week in the class. Holiness, according to Kabbalistic view, is that God is transparent. What does it mean to be transparent? Meaning that God's characteristics was to give, was to share with others. He brought about and made creation and put man on this earth to impart in man part of himself. He wanted to share himself. It says that when he created man and put him on earth, that the vessels that Adam and Eve were could not contain 
the very light and essence that God wanted to put in them. And it says that they fractured. Now we have the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the fruit that was eaten by Chava. All of that on a very deep spiritual level was this, is that they were given all of creation, Adam and Eve, were given everything that they could possibly want, yet Adam and Eve were created at some level as a weak vessel. Hashem knew what He was doing. He created them to be delicate. The problem is, is that Adam and Eve got into the garden, and it says, instead of being in the receiving mode, they were in the taking mode. There's a big difference between the two. Says that Adam and Eve, and Eve especially, went to the tree and took of the fruit. And it is this taking process that it's it's like um, it's like forcing in pressure without having a release. The, one of the best examples of this is in Israel. We talk about the Holy Land being holy. Why? Because it reveals or it is transparent. The very essence of Hashem is revealed in even even nature itself. You have the uh, Sea of Galilee, and you have the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is dead. Why? Because it receives, and it doesn't give out. It's dead. It's full of highly caustic material, salt, etc. It's an amazing piece of water, but nothing lives in it. Yet the Sea of Galilee releases itself into the Jordan River, and that sea is a vibrant sea full of fish, etc. So we all pretty much understand the concept that if you want to be the healthiest in your life, you have to learn to give out. As a matter of fact, we have a prayer that's posted on that wall uh, right there by the bathroom. And that prayer is a prayer that we pray when we go to the restroom. And we say, Hashem, you alone, you alone are the one who makes our bodies function. All the things that are open should stay open and things that are closed should stay closed. And is this process of releasing the poisons and toxins in our body that you give us health and give me the ability to stand before you and to praise you. So this idea that started in the very beginning that the sages of Kabbalah began to bring down is this idea that God desires to give us goodness. He wants to bring goodness into our life. Goodness only comes to those who have opened themselves up to receive goodness. If a person wants to receive goodness, then they also have to express goodness to other people, correct? And so this incredible teaching and its infancy, and Kabbalah is much more complex than even this. But if you can just understand this one element, I really do believe that you'll understand that you are actually connected to Lag ba ba Omer, much more than you realize. You're absolutely connected. As a matter of fact, many of you in this room already have very strong Kabbalistic understanding of Torah, and you don't even know it. You have no clue. And the reason why you don't know is because you don't know that's what Kabbalism teaches. But you already know. And the reason why I know is I have conversations with you, and you understand. For example, if I want to be able to contain prosperity and wealth in my life, what do I need to do with my money? Give. Pretty simple idea. If I want to receive love from others, I have to 
love others. If I want to receive forgiveness in my life and mercy in my life, then I have to be a person full of mercy and compassion toward other people. And you see, that is what those who come from the nations really carry. They carry a deep sense of spirituality that most people in modern Judaism highly underestimate. They don't realize that the people of the nations come from a very strong spiritual connection to Hashem. Even though there's some limitations on their knowledge of Torah, they do understand the spiritual ramifications of their relationship with Hashem. So they come into the study of Torah knowing that 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 for, for them to have a relationship with God, it requires them to be in the receive mode. We can't demand anything from God. We only can stand and be prepared to receive. What makes the B'nai Noach so unique in the world is their journey started from being in the receive mode. They got to a place in their life where they realized, I've taken all I can take. And if Hashem does not give me His wisdom and His knowledge and His understanding of the Word, I won't get it. I won't understand it. And so what happens is a person begins a journey of studying the Torah and, and, and praying to Hashem. And it's not with the purpose of trying to approach Judaism because that's not even usually in the back of anybody's mind. It's about wanting to know God, wanting to connect with God and be on the receiving side of a relationship with God in which you are receiving what He wants you to receive. I spent most of my spiritual journey attempting to dictate to the creator of the universe what I wanted. I had my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, had my ministry schedule, had everything laid out. It was perfect. The problem is, is I found out very quickly, God doesn't necessarily work on my plans. Right? We all figure that one out pretty quick. And so after beating my head against the wall for, you know, 40-some-odd years, or 30-some-odd years, I guess, if you count ministry time, I, I became very serious about, about making an appeal to Hashem. Every one of you in this room have done the very same thing. And have found yourself on a journey in which God finally began to open up illumination to the Word of God that otherwise there's no way that you could have known. No way. And you realize that all of the things that you thought the Word of God said were things that you had created because you were in the taking mode and not the receiving mode. And when I realized that the difference between receiving and taking is that who is in control of the object? Who's in control of the object between receiving and taking? The giver is in control of the, of the object when the person is in receive mode. And who is the giver? Hashem is the giver. What happens is the B'nai Noach realizes, here's the secret. I don't, you know, I don't have to be an expert in Hebrew language for God to give me illumination and understanding. If I will just open myself up and pray and study and apply the study and begin to do mitzvah in my life, be righteous acts, give of myself and what I receive from Hashem, I share it with others. And when you begin to share it, what happens? More knowledge comes down. Well, did you know that the seven Noahide laws that were given to Noah were actually was actually given all the way back to Adam, but seven basic commandments 
correspond to the seven sephirot in Kabbalah? So let's look at the seven sephirot. And if you're not familiar with some of the terms, take time, you can look some of these ideas up. Kabbalah teaches that the seven Noahide laws correspond to the seven emotive powers of the soul, which is the seven sephirot. First is chesed, loving kindness. Loving kindness directly relates to the prohibition against uh, adultery. Adultery also corresponds to idolatry. Right? Next, kevurah, which is um, prohibition against murder, strength against another person. The teferet, beauty, the prohibition against theft. That is seeing something of value that you want and you take it because of your selfish motives. Next is Netzach, which is victory or eternity, a prohibition against idol worship itself. The next is Hod, which is splendor, prohibition against blasphemy. Next is Yesod, or the foundation, a prohibition against eating flesh torn from a live animal uh, or drinking its blood. And we understand that the last, Machut, is kingship, which is establishing a legal system. With these things, this is why Rabbi Katz was so completely blown away by those in the nations who would call him and say, hey, I've been watching your studies, what do you think about this or that? He's completely blown away by people who raised either not very religious or maybe Christian who had begun to study the Torah and share insight. And he began to say, how is it that they have this level of insight? Why? Because Hashem is a giver. He's faithful. And even a person who might be way off of the path of the knowledge of Torah, if they truly do love Hashem and want to connect to Hashem, God gives liberally to those people who seek. And so really in the light of of this whole event today, and remembering Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, remembering his contributions to the Zohar, the teaching of the Zohar, remembering uh, Rabbi Akiva, the giving of this great uh, body of work, which can be studied by just about anybody. We have to remember that the basic of all of this one thing is this. God desires to give goodness to every human being. And that goodness can be received by every human being, can be received by, by that person from the hand of God. My wife is such a wonderful example of motherhood and grandmotherhood. And you guys are wonderful mothers and grandmothers as well. But I can't talk about you because I don't live in your home. Anyway, I'm just picking. Um, if you want to know what the essence of receiving and transparency and holiness, you need to look at a mother. A mother will do things for her child that is completely selfless. They have no desire to do this on their own. Right? Sitting up reading the same goofy story every night to a child because it brings that child happiness. Do you think that mother does it because it makes her feel good? She's doing it because she knows it brings some level of comfort and peace to a child. How many times have I seen my wife 
rocking my grandson when I know that little knucklehead will go to sleep without being rocked. Right? I'll go take him and put him in bed and lay him down, and he goes to sleep. But when Ima's around, Mima's around, it doesn't work that way. He wants to be rocked. And now I realize I've done totally ruined the child. I don't know what we're going to do. We send him back to my son's house. Because I now will rock him for 30, 45 minutes. Right. And he lays there. He lays there. So he's so he's so comfortable. He's not fighting you. All you have to do is say it's time to go to sleep. And you put him on your your shoulder and you rock and you sing songs. And I realize this takes a lot of time out of my day. You know, I have better things to do. But the whole idea of living holiness is I am giving something to my grandson like the Father in heaven, the creator of the universe has given to me. I'm creating a memory, a beautiful memory. He will always, hopefully, remember those things that we do. I will remember it forever. And so in essence, receiving, giving and receiving is really so, such a powerful thing that you realize that your life is, is null and void if you're not in the mode of receiving from God and giving to others. I can remember my grandmother, a blessed memory, taking us to uh, the grocery store in West Virginia. And we're walking around, and she's putting things in the buggy. And I saw her slide in a toy truck and, and a little makeup kit. The makeup kit was for me, and the toy truck was my dog. No. My sister and I were following around. We were looking in the buggy. You know, I think we're like seven and eight and six or something like that. And finally, we worked up the courage to ask her if that was, you know, who's that for? And I said, I said, Grandma, who's that for? And she says, well, it's not certainly for you. It's for some other good little boy, right? And she was pulling our chain, right? But the memory of knowing that my grandmother, busy and fixing, getting all of her stuff to fix supper, buys us a little toy. And the memories of going back and stuffing them full of lightning bugs and seeing the truck glow at night. What wonderful memories. If you want to know what it's like to be holy, look at the dedication that parents have to their children even after they leave the home. That's holiness. That is what Hashem has done for us. Your children leave home and they make a mess of their life. They... They wreck the cars. <laughs> and sometimes they don't leave home. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, and they still wreck the cars, make the mess of their life. Right, right. But, and you as a parent, you struggle between, how do, when do I set my foot down? When do I tell them to leave? What do I do? And you're just still giving. You give, you give, you give, you give. That's what Hashem does for us. So, in all of this, you know, we can get wrapped up in the great mysteries of Torah knowledge and we can talk about the great um, mystical ideas of Kabbalah and the lights that fall down to s- 10 different levels from the highest level to the lowest level. But if you don't have this very basic idea, you've missed the whole point, And that is Hashem desires for you to receive the goodness that he wants to give you and he expects you to give that goodness to others. You know, I could have said that really quick in five minutes, but it would have been a boring class. But that's the whole point. It's about connecting to Hashem in a unique way. And for those who have watched the video, 
who find themselves sort of on an island somewhere. And uh, you know you have a legitimate relationship with God. You know that there's only one God. You don't really have a community. You don't have anybody to go to. You can't sit down and discuss Torah with anybody. I want you to know that God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will share his divine light to you if you will simply ask him and study. It's very simple. And then as you ask him and study and he reveals something new to you, then you begin to practice that in your life. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Hashem is amazing. And this time of Lagba Omar teaches us, and there's big bonfires all over Israel. People are making big bonfires. But the, the fires that we need to light are the light is the light of Hashem. We need to light the fires. The fires illuminate the area. It illuminates your family. Whatever you have to do to reinvigorate uh, and kindle the fire in your life, kindle holiness in your life, make a new connection with God like you haven't before, you've got to do it now. Now's the time. In just about 18 days, I think it's 18 days, right? We have uh, Shavuot, which is study of Torah. And those of you who are interested, we're going to come together and bring food and study all night, Sunday night, on that Sunday night. So if you're interested, uh, we'll be here enjoying ourselves, blurry-eyed, until we hours of the morning. Why do we do this? It's from Pesach to Shavuot, we are following the journey of the Israelites out of Egypt. And in that 50-day period from the time that they had the first Pesach in Egypt to the time they got to Sinai, there was a process going on in every Israelite. There was something, uh, it was like them walking up the stairs. They, every, every day, every step closer to Sinai, they came, became closer and more transparent before the creator of the universe. It said that when the Torah was given at Sinai, when God spoke, said that they would die. Every Israelite would die. It was so overwhelming. The power of the words, the revelation, the understanding was so powerful by the second or third commandment. They said, we can't do this anymore. We'll be destroyed. You remember they said, Moshe, you speak, you tell us, let him tell you. This is the whole thing. We cannot contain the knowledge that God wants to give us. We can't contain it. It's much too powerful, much too huge. But what we can contain, he wants to give. And he's eager to do that. That concludes the class.